called This Is My Story. This Is My Story. We decided we wanted to talk about um, what God has given us in the power of our testimony. And the power of our testimony is something that not only moves us, but it moves other people as well. And when we were looking at this, we realized that this is something that we really want to encourage people to do, to share their story, to share what God has done in your life. It is very common that we can often not share our story when people actually need to hear about God. We often think, well, maybe I don't really know God well enough. I don't know the Bible well enough. I don't know how to witness. I don't know how to do these things. When the fact is, all you have to do is share what God has done in your life. And that is enough for God to do something in other people's lies because of what you have given uh, by sharing. This is something powerful when we share what God has done in our lives. And so today we want to look at how powerful testimony is. And we're going to be reading, when we start off, we're going to be reading from Revelation chapter 12. Now, if any of you have ever read the last book of the Bible called Revelation, Revelation is just a little kind of weird. Why? Because it kind of culminates in this whole kind of Lord of the Rings type of thing where the dragon comes and and battles this woman and then there's angels and demons and light and dark. And if you're all about reading about Harry Potter, you'll have no problem reading that book. But if you're not really into that type of stuff, it does sound a little odd and a little weird, but there are some things that are said in it that are really quite powerful and quite amazing. And when this battle culminates and it gets to a head, and this is talking about the last days before Christ returns, before it it gets to a head, as it's getting to a head, it says this, in in verse 10 of chapter 12, it says, then I heard a loud voice. This is John the Revelator speaking. He's the one who actually got this vision from God. And he says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. That's talking about Jesus Christ. For the accuser, that is the devil, that is the Satan, the Lucifer, the one who is our enemy. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them, that's us, before God day and night has been hurled down. That means that he is accusing us. He is coming up with things to pull us down. He doesn't necessarily have to come out and try to physically touch you. All he has to do is get you to give up on Jesus Christ. How does he do that? By accusing you of the things that are true about your life that you've been saved from to try and convince you that it's still an authority in your life, to convince you that these chains and this sin still commands and rules your life. Well, he comes and he tries to accuse us and it says that he will finally be huddled down. And then it gives us an insight of how we resist the enemy and how we personally overcome him. It says, and they triumphed. Triumphed means, woo, we beat him. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the words of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to show shrink from death. Now, you might look at that and go, that seems like an arbitrary choice of, uh, of items right there in that sentence. Why the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony? Why put those two things together? Well, the blood of the lamb, even though it sounds weird, is actually referring to something that happened in the Old Testament. I'll give you a quick overview of that. What happened in the Old Testament was, we all know about the stories about uh, when Charlton Heston led the Israelites out of Egypt, right? <clears throat> Otherwise known as Moses. And when the Israelites were actually in Egypt, they, they actually said, settled there. God had called Abraham years and years ago, uh, uh, several, uh, several centuries before that, 
And he said, through you, I will actually bring my covenant. And so he had a child and they had a son and then it beget the next generation, next generation, next generation to the point where the Jews turned into a very large nation and they were settled in, 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 in Egypt. But when they were there, the Egyptians became very fearful of them. So they turned them into slaves. For 400 years, they were enslaved and they were crying out to God, save us, O God, save us, O God. And so finally he sent someone called Moses, otherwise called Charlton Heston, to come and lead them out. And when, when Moses came to, to Pharaoh, he said, let my people go. You remember that, right? Remember the movie, 10 Commandments? Anyone, just me? Only old people. Great, okay. <clears throat> 10 Commandments, the 10 Commandments. Great movie, right? Phenomenal movie, very long. But anyway, um, and so, and so he, 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 Moses went and said, let my people go because he wanted to bring the Israelites out of Egypt to go into the desert to worship God and to give them the promised land because, uh, called Cana, right? So there's a quick history right there. But Pharaoh became very stubborn. He became very resistant against God. And he said, no, I'm not gonna let them go. And so Moses, God told Moses, tell him, I'm gonna bring a plague upon the people. And so he brought a plague. He brought a plague of frogs. He brought a plague of flies. He brought a plague of this and that. And there was seven plagues in total before he came to the final plague. And the interesting thing is when these seven plagues, I was just speaking with someone earlier, the seven plagues were very specific because all the plagues were God coming against each one of the gods of Pharaoh, each one of the gods of Egypt. And so he started taking down each one of the gods until Pharaoh just went, I'm not letting them go. I don't, you can take down all my gods all you want, but I'm not gonna let them go because I am God. And that's when God said, fine, then I will bring the last, the last uh, um, uh, plague to you. And it'll be the plague where every firstborn of every family will die. I will send the angel of death to pass over, uh, to, 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 to go over the land and every firstborn will die and even every firstborn of the animal will die. Well, what God did is he told his people, he said, listen, in order to avoid this judgment that's gonna come upon you, you can't just go, well, hey, I'm, I'm one of God's people, right? I'm, I'm one of the Israelites, I'm one of the gang. No, you must come under some other authority, some other power. And what I want you to do is I want you to take a lamb and you're gonna kill this lamb. You will eat the lamb, but you'll take the blood and pour it out into a bowl. And then you'll take hyssop, which is a branch of... of um, of a particular plant, and you're gonna take this hyssop and then you're gonna put it over the front door. And this is where he is in, and <clears throat> we're talking about the blood of lamb. He says in Exodus chapter 12, verses six, seven, 12, and 13, it says this, take care of the lamb until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. Now, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses. Let's read it again. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. That's where we get that Jewish term, Passover, that's during the, the time of Easter, right? I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Now, here's the thing. Anyone who decided not to do this was going to lose their firstborn. Anyone that did was going to keep their, was going to keep their firstborn. Now, 
the interesting thing with this, I know it sounds weird. I know it sounds odd, right? But here's God giving them instructions. They didn't necessarily understand what was going on. Well, I don't understand what's going on, God. Why does it have to be a lamb? Why does it have to be blood? Why is it on the doorpost? This doesn't make sense. Oftentimes God gives us instructions to do things, but we don't necessarily understand it. It's okay that we don't understand it because maybe we're not ready to understand it. Maybe God's not even ready to reveal all his understanding in these particular things. But what we know as Christians is we believe that this was a force sign of what God was going to do in the future when he allowed his son to be the one who would die for our sins. Because for every sin, there must be a price paid for anything you do. Whatever you do wrong in the land, there will be a judgment that will be given out against you. You have to do a prison term or you have to pay a fine. Well, even the same with God. Because we have violated God's righteousness, because we have done things in our own ways, we have to pay a price for that. But none of us can do it because none of us are worthy of doing it. And so therefore God sent his son to die on a cross who then took that judgment for us and we actually avail ourselves upon Christ because of that very thing. How do we know that? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it says, for Christ is our Passover lamb and he has been sacrificed, right? That in a nutshell gives you a rough idea of why we talk about the blood of the lamb so much as Christians. It's an Old Testament thing and it was a foreshadowing of what God was going to do for us through Jesus Christ. Does that all make sense? Excellent. Now, let me then quickly move over to word of the testimony, right? Because remember, we just talked about that we will overcome the enemy. We will triumph over him by the blood of the lamb. Weird stuff, don't necessarily understand it, but now we get it through Jesus Christ and by the word of their testimony. Why the word of their testimony? <clears throat> Isn't the blood of the lamb good enough? Isn't that, why, why can't we just say what Jesus on, did on the cross is absolutely good enough? But here's where I understand it. The reason why the blood and the testimony are connected together is because just because the lamb died, because the blood was spilled, didn't mean the house was protected. The blood had to be transferred from the bowl to the doorpost, and that was the instructions that God gave in order for the judgment to pass over them. If they had only killed the lamb or only eaten the lamb, it would not have completed the instructions that God requires of us in order to have protection against his judgment. They had to, listen now, they had to apply the blood upon their household. They had to apply the blood upon their life. And I believe in the same way, just because you believe in the cross of Christ does not mean that it gives you the power of the cross of Christ. You must apply it. How do you apply it? You must transfer it. And I believe you transfer the power of the cross by your testimony, by what you say, by what you let become truth in your life. How does this work? Well, let me show you something. When the devil comes, he's called the accuser. When he comes, he accuses you of something. You then have to make a choice. Is that the final judgment in my life or is there a better word? Is that the final judgment? Because the fact is the devil's not gonna come and just send lies to you. He's gonna mix in lies to you, but he's also going to give you some truth about who you are, what you've done and where you've been. And then maybe he's gonna start accusing you of, you know what? You're actually addicted. You can't stop looking at things online. 
You can't look, you can't stop putting things in your body. You can't, you can't stop work. You're an absolute workaholic. When he starts accusing you of those things, it's okay to say, you know, to say, you know what? It's true, but I'm under the blood of Christ. Not that you don't get, not that you have permission to not change. You have to change, right? You have to allow the power of God to change your life. But at some point, when the enemy comes and accuses you of things, you have to say, that's true, but I'm still under the blood of Christ because the blood of Christ is going to change my life. Maybe he's accusing you of being too scared. You can't take bold steps. Maybe he's accusing you of being a liar. Maybe he's accusing you of things that you've lost your marriage in the past or you've done bad things or wrong things. Maybe he's accusing you of poverty. The fact is you have to get to the place and declare the truth of the blood over your life. Yes, I once was poor, but now I'm rich in Christ. Yes, I was a liar, but now I live under the truth of Christ and I choose to allow my mouth to be commanded by the words of Christ. Do you see how this works? You have to declare that Jesus has set you free, that you're rich in Christ, that you're accepted into His family because the Bible says, resist the devil and he must flee. Resist him and he must flee. Why? Because the truth sets you free. The Scriptures say it. We all know these things. But we can know them all we want, but there has to be a transference of what Christ has done into your life. Here's what's more. This is something that I found that really blew me away. When I was reading this, I started to look up the word testimony and something just leapt within my spirit when I read this because when I looked at the word testimony, it comes from a root meaning that means duplicate, repeat, or do it again. To do it again. I'm here to tell you, I believe that the power of the cross has to happen again in your life. It has to happen in your life and it has to happen in other people's lives. It wasn't just a one-time thing that happened years ago when you got saved and you saw how he forgave you and suddenly you gave your life to Christ, you started walking with Christ, but since then you've had battles, since then you've had accusations, since then you've had discouragement and doubt and you've had things come your way that are telling you and, and pulling you down and they're telling you that maybe you're not as good as you thought you were and maybe you're losing the power in the way that it used to be in your life. It's time to do it again. It's time to speak up and say, you know what? I'm gonna tell people about my testimony. I was just speaking to one of our leaders the other day and he's like, you know, God changed my life. God had changed his life radically years ago and now he's got children and, 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 and he noticed his daughter was really being tormented by many things and he felt God say to him, you need to speak something on your daughter. So he did, he started praying the same prayer upon his daughter and he saw his daughter's life change. He saw peace come into her. Why? Because the same power that had activated in him years ago, he decided to make it happen again in his daughter's life. I have seen people who have literally been healed because they heard someone else's story of being healed. If you can get healed, then that can happen for me. If God can turn your life around, then it can happen for me. Faith needs to be stirred up within people, but how can it happen if we don't open up our mouths and tell them what God did for us in our lives? Does this make sense? I'm telling you, there's a power. God has already given us this insight of how we're meant to overcome the enemy through Scripture and we're meant to do it today. I believe that people will get healed and that poverty will be broken and they'll get saved simply because you shared your story. That's powerful. You don't need to be a theologian, a scholar, or some amazing person. You don't even have to be perfect because you're never gonna be perfect except in Christ. So just give whatever it is that you've got. 
This is something that really has affected my life over the years. Years ago, when my son was born and we, he was about between the ages of six and 12 months, he was, he was actually, we were actually in Scotland and as we were flying back to America, we were on the plane and he became very lethargic and was, was kind of, was just becoming very, very floppy and, and we didn't really know what was wrong with him. We couldn't give him water. He wasn't holding water down. So I asked the stewardess, I said, hey, we need some help. I don't know what's going on with my son. And of course, we're between Scotland and America, right? There's not really a hospital around. And so they had to call down to the, to the, to, to the ground to, to find a doctor that can maybe give us advice of what to do. And we were on the plane, we're just praying for him and praying for him. And then he kind of revived again. And then he kind of started flopping again. And finally we landed in, in America and uh, it seemed like everything was fine. Everything was cool. And I thought, well, well, we'll take him to the doctor on Monday. And so it came to, the, came to the doctor on Monday and he was there and he was starting to get lethargic once again. And the doctor, thank God, he was a Christian. I didn't know he was a Christian. He goes, I just have something inside of me that says we need to test his blood. Do you mind if we test his blood? Sure, go ahead and do it. So they took a test of his blood and they found that there was a disease in his blood that was killing him. And it kills 30,000 children a year. And they said, we need, we've already ordered you an ambulance. You need to go to the hospital right now. So we went there, we went to the hospital. They put a pick line inside of him to administer directly to his body uh, uh, um, uh, medication. But after 10 days, nothing was happening. Nothing was changing. It was becoming more and more lethargic. And there was a point in the middle of it when I was just, I was so distraught because this is my first child. I've never had a child before. I don't know what's going on. And I went into the bathroom because there's always a, bath, a, little, a little toilet inside the, inside the hospital room. And I went down and I remember just getting on my knees and I'm like, God, I can't do what your son did. I don't know how to do it. I know your son said, your will be done, but not, not, not mine. I can't do that. I can't cope with that. Please don't take my son away. What do I do? And in that moment, I felt that God showed something to me. He said, this is the enemy attacking your son. You need to pray for your son. And in that moment, I also had this memory of something that happened when I was a child and I saw God give me insight to something that had happened to our family years ago. And he said, pray about that. You see, years ago, my mother used to take a, a small group of women around a local hospital. It was a very large hospital in the town that we grew up in. And she used to go to that hospital and walk around that hospital every Tuesday morning for years. Why? Because it was the number one hospital for abortions in the whole of Europe. It was a center where they used to train people how to abort children. And so people from all over the country would come to get an abortion in that, in that hospital. My mother knew that that was a demonic power. And she said, we're not standing back and letting this happen. So every Tuesday morning, she used to go around and walking and bind and, and just and speak against that, 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 that spirit of death that was trying to come over in our city. Years later, I'm on my knees in the hospital and I said, God, what is this? What do I do? And I felt God said, the enemy still has your number. And I realized that everyone in my family have lost one of their first children. And now my son was on the list. And I remember standing up and saying, devil, you're not getting my son because we're under the blood of Jesus Christ. We're under the blood of Jesus Christ. You're not getting my son. You're not taking him. And something inside of me started to be very bold about it, that I had to make a decision that very day. And Crystal will testify to this as well. I'll never forget the daughter running in and she was disheveled and took her coat off. And she said, so there's this expert in America who's the expert on this particular disease. And he flew into town for a conference. I just found out about it. And I went to him and I said, listen, I'm sorry, I have this child that's 
six or eight months old and, and, and he's got this, we can't figure out how to kill this thing. And he goes, oh, you're trying to kill it with this particular drug, right? Well, take this drug and then take this other drug and you put it in there and it will cover it. It will cover it as it goes in and it does battle against that disease. And within several days, my son was healed. Here's what I'm telling you. Here's what I'm telling you is there has to be a transparency of power. There has to be a transparency of authority from the blood of Christ, from the cross of Christ into your life for it to have any effect upon your life. It's time to do it again if you have lost it. It's time to remind yourself of what Christ has done. It's time to tell other people. It's time to allow the miracle of Jesus Christ to actually start to happen in their life as well, to activate the power of Jesus Christ. It's quite simple as this. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be as smart as I am because look at me, I'm really smart. You laugh because you know it's not really true. All you know is what I'm saying is true. If the cross of Christ is true, then live it out. If you don't live it out, it has no power in your life whatsoever. So this month, we want to encourage you to share your story. And if there's people that don't want to listen, don't worry about it. There are plenty of people out there who are ready to hear the cross of Christ. And I love what Pastor Jared had said a few months ago when he said, if you've ever started a group and no one came, then you're inviting the wrong people. Go find those who are rejected, who are abandoned, that don't have friends, that are not pretty, that are not rich, that are not wonderfully influential people. Go find the people who are ready to hear about the story of Jesus Christ. And they're the ones who say yes, they're the ones who get the blood that covers over them. Father, this morning, I want us to have a revival within ourselves once again for the power of the cross to be stirred up within ourselves that it happens again, do it again. And as we do it, as we share it, as we reveal what you have done within us, that it will actually happen within our families. It will happen within our workplaces. It will happen in our small groups. There's other people out there. There's people outside of the city that God is bringing to you in your minds right now. There are people who God is bringing to you in your mind right now. I believe, God, in the name of Jesus, I pray you would reveal who those people are. Who is it you've got to go speak to? Who is it you've got to go tell your story to? Father, I pray that you would start to show everybody in this room someone that they need to reach out to and start sharing what you did in their life. Help them to not be weird. Help them to not be awkward. Help them to have open doors in the name of Jesus that they're able to do it again. And all God's people said, Amen.